0: Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 122, The Treaty of Paris, 1763. I'd like to begin this week with a quick mention that A History of the United States, volume 2, The Colonial Period, is now out. Um, It's available on Amazon, so if you'd like to buy that and help support the show, uh, you can do. But, back to the show. It's now been a full 10 years since George Washington stumbled onto the world stage. And how on earth do we make sense of everything that's happened since? Iroquois influence over the Indians in the Ohio Valley started to decline. This helped lead to the British and French both wanting the territory. Skirmishes on the frontier worked their way to London and Paris, with Britain and France both starting to prepare for war. They formed alliances with Prussia and Austria, respectively, in the diplomatic revolution of 1756. Austria wanted to reclaim Silesia from Prussia, so Prussia launched a preemptive invasion of Saxony. Suddenly, the world was at war. The British made a complete mess of things in America. There was the disaster at Monongahela, in 1755, which saw the death of Commander-in-Chief Braddock, who was then replaced by Lord Loudon, There was the disaster at Oswego in 1756, and the Fort William Henry Massacre in 1757. This was accompanied by political instability in Westminster, including a three-month period in 1757 where there was no real government at all. Then, Finally, the Pitt-Newcastle Ministry was formed. Pitt changed the course of the war in North America. Rather than focusing on centralisation efforts across the North American colonies and trying to create a viceroyalty, the British pivoted to a more decentralised approach, providing subsidies to the colonies and actually respecting provincial troops, rather than making them all subordinate to Redcoats. This was the turning point in the war. The American colonies had a much larger population than Canada. If they could be effectively mobilised, the British would win, and they did. The French suffered supply shortages after bad harvests, meaning they couldn't press their advantage in 1757. When the campaigning season of 1758 began, the British commander-in-chief, Abercrombie, was unable to move up the Lake Champlain Corridor. However, they were able to take Louisbourg, Frontenac, and Fort Duquesne, which became known as Pittsburgh. This was followed by the Annus Mirabilis in 1759, culminating in the capture of Quebec, and then of Montreal, in 1760. Once a war with the Cherokee in the south was put down, The British were now the masters of North America. Pitt's Jethamite system was to keep the war alive in Europe, while the British focused on dominating the Atlantic, which was achieved with the victories at Lagos and Kiberon Bay in 1759, and then on dismantling the French Empire. They were victorious in India, West Africa, and the Caribbean. The problem was Europe. Prussia struggled facing the Russians, and the Austrians, and the French, and the minor German states, all at the same time, but when Elizabeth of Russia died and was replaced by Tsar Peter III, the Russians withdrew from the war. King Frederick was able to focus his attention on Austria, while the Hanoverians held back the French. The Spanish joining the war had been a desperate last play by the French. A Hail Mary, but the Portuguese pushed back a Spanish invasion while the British captured both Cuba and Manila. By November 1762, everybody was ready for peace. The result was two separate peace treaties the Treaty of Hubertsburg and the Treaty of Paris. We'll go over the Treaty of Hubertsburg first because it's much less important to our story before turning to the Treaty of Paris. The main result of the Treaty of Hubertusburg was that it restored Central Europe back to 1756. The Austrians renounced their claim to Silesia, so it might be seen that the Prussians did slightly better than the Austrians, though they did not annex Saxony, the invasion of which had started the war in the first place. The main effect is that Prussia was now firmly considered one of the main European great powers, with its former position as the newcomer to the party being transferred to Russia. It also signified that Sweden had lost its own great power status. In its heyday, if you remember back to the days of the mid-17th century, Sweden had been a power, even launching its own colony in the Delaware, but Now most of its European territory was lost, and this marked its last real attempt to lay claim to Pomerania. As interesting as all of this is, our main interest in this story is America, so let's look at the Treaty of Paris. While Hubertusberg dealt with the situation in Central Europe, the Treaty of Paris involved Britain, France, Spain, and Portugal. When the armistice was agreed, the British had captured Canada, Guadeloupe, Martinique, San Lucia, Dominica, Granada, Saint Vincent and the Grenadines, Tobago, French possessions in India, Gori, and the Senegal from the French, as well as Manila and Havana from the Spanish. The French had captured Minorca and a few minor trading posts from the British and the Spanish had taken a couple of settlements from Portugal. The French and British had been discussing a potential peace deal since 1761, so that was relatively straightforward. If you'll recall, the major sticking point had been that Pitt wanted the Newfoundland fisheries from the French, but now he was no longer in power, that term had been dropped. The French would return their captured territory to Britain, and Britain would give most of it back, but would take St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Dominica, Tobago, Granada, Senegal, and, obviously, Canada. Easy enough. The problem was Spain. Britain had captured Havana, a very valuable prize. The Spanish king, Carlos III, would not consider giving it up, but the British needed to gain something. The British public, and Pitt, would be outraged if Havana was given up for nothing. So the French came up with a very clever solution. In a secret agreement, they gave Louisiana to the Spanish. The Spanish then gave the British the eastern side of the Mississippi, as well as Florida. Pitt and Newcastle were still outraged, Pitt spoke for over three hours in the Commons that the treaty was a joke, while Newcastle raged in the Lords, but it was defeated on a voice vote. If you've been watching a lot of Parliament votes like I have over the last 12 months, you'll have some idea how pathetic it is to be defeated on a voice vote without it going to the chambers. The treaty was signed, and peace was achieved. The Seven Years' War Is really one of the great events of world history. It marked a changing of the guard in European politics. No longer was France the great power in Europe. Now, it was Britain. Britain was the undisputed master of the North Atlantic, commander of an empire it would manage to throw away in just 20 years. In 1783, there would be another Treaty of Paris, one which would recognise the newly won independence of the United States of America. We'll start down that road next time. I tell you, it's going to be one hell of a ride.